Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, I love this passage, not just because it's popular or familiar, but I love this passage because in such such a short passage, God speaks so many things over us about who we are and what our identity is in him. The first thing that God says is you are a chosen generation. What is God telling us? God is telling us that we're not an accident, that we're not a mistake. It doesn't matter what your family told you. It doesn't matter what your upbringing might have been. But, but God speaks to you. He looks at you as if you are chosen. Amen. You are not a mistake. The next thing that God says about you is he calls you a royal priesthood. And I love this because he doesn't say you're just part of the priesthood. He doesn't say you're just a, a church member. But he says you are a royal priesthood. That means that you are a priest, but you also have nobility. It means that, that there is something in your bloodline, Right? that gives you royalty. And then he calls us his holy nation. That means that together, we're not an accident. Together, we're not a mistake. Together, we aren't just anybody, but we are royalty. We are a priesthood and together we are a holy nation. And then the most intimate part of this verse, he says, we are his own special people. You may, have not, you, you may have never felt special in your life, but I'm here to tell you today that in God's eyes, you are his own special person. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor. It doesn't matter where you live, what color you are. You are God's own special person. So why are we all of these things? It says so that we can proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Isn't that encouraging? I want to read you one other verse. Revelations 1, 4 through 6 says this. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about this thought, kings and priests. Kings and priests. Let's take a moment and pray. God, I thank you this morning. God, that you would use me, God, to speak your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help me set myself aside, God, that my thoughts would be your thoughts, that my words would be your words. God, that your Holy Spirit, God, would penetrate the hearts of every person in here. God, that your word would help change us and draw us to a closer, deeper relationship with you. And God will give you all of the glory for everything that's said and done in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna talk to you about being kings and priests. And in Revelation, the passage that we just read, and in 1 Peter 2 and 9, it's telling us that we are called to be both of those things. 
We are called to be both king and priest. It's not that some of us are supposed to be a king and some of us are supposed to be priests, but I believe that God is calling us to be some of each. I don't believe that there's just kings who are businessmen who give money to the priests who have the visions and fund the works. I believe that God is calling us to be both of those things. That's why he calls us a royal priesthood because we're not just a priest, but we are also royalty. And that's why he says that he has made us kings and priests, not kings or priests, but he has made us kings and priests. And here's why I believe that God wants us to be both, because a king, a king can do this. A king can expand. A king can, can take territory. A king can build. A king can conquer. A king can do a lot of great things. A king can start a business, a king can grow his family, can buy a new home, can buy property, but without God, it means nothing. And if you look at it on the other hand, you could be a priest, but if you are not kingly, then you might be a priest who intercedes, you might be a priest who atones, you might be a priest who, 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 who reads the Bible and who prays, but... You're confined to one space. So we have to be both king and we have to both be priest. We have to be willing to expand. We have to be willing to grow. We have to be willing to step out and conquer and face our enemies. But we also have to intercede and cleanse the land. We also have to atone and make sure that things are right around us. So in order for us to do what God is calling us to do, we have to be both king and priest. Now let's talk about what a king is. You see, you're not a king without a kingdom. So what is a kingdom? A kingdom is simply this. A kingdom is a king's domain. It's the place where a king exercises his dominion. The king is the government who rules over his domain. A king also is somebody who takes territory and who exercises his authority. A king without territory, a king without a domain, a king that doesn't exercise authority is no king, right? So if we are a king, then what does that mean? That means that we are to exercise dominion over our domain. What is our domain? Your domain is your home. Your domain is your family. Your domain is your business. Your domain is your job. Your domain is your community. You see, the devil wants you to think that you don't have dominion, that you don't have a kingdom. Why? Because if you have a kingdom, then you have something to rule over. And if he makes you think that you don't have a kingdom, then he makes you think that you shouldn't rule. So we have a culture and we have a society where everybody else rules and church people have been deceived into thinking that we don't have dominion, that we don't have a voice. So the church remains silent on issues that are corrupting and destroying the land. But God is calling us to be both king and priest, to exercise dominion and to also atone and intercede in the land. 
So a priest is somebody who offers atonement and cleanses. What is atonement? As a believer, our definition of atonement is the reconciliation of God and humankind through Christ Jesus. That means if, as a priest, if, I, if, if I'm going to offer atonement, that means I'm reconciling something to God. And the only way to reconcile something to God is through Jesus Christ. That means as a priest of your home, it's your job as the king of your home with dominion, with authority. It's your job as the king and the priest to reconcile your family to God through Jesus Christ. That means as a, as a king and a priest at your job, right? Even though you have a boss, it's your job to offer atonement and try to cleanse the land around you. That means that just because there are demonic influences and evil spirits at your job, that doesn't mean that you just stick to yourself and don't say a word, but that means that when you show up to your job, you work your job, but you also pray and you intercede for your job for your workplace, for the things happening around you. A priest is somebody who approaches God on behalf of others. An intercessor. Whenever you pray for somebody else, you are fulfilling a priestly function. So God is calling every single one of us to be a king who rules over their domain and governs but to also be a priest who intercedes and prays and offers atonement. Now let's talk a little bit more about a king. A king keeps the decrees. Say decrees. In Leviticus 20, 22 through 24, it says this, you must keep all my decrees and regulations by putting them into practice. You see, when it comes to God's word, you're, you don't keep God's word until you put it into practice. It's not enough to just hear the word. It's not enough to just read the word. It's not enough to just share the word. But until you put the word into practice, you're not keeping God's decrees. And it says, otherwise the land to which I am bringing you as your new home will vomit you out. Do not live according to the customs of the people I am driving out before you. It is because they do these shameful things that I detest them. But I have promised you, you will possess their land because I will give it to you as your possession, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from all other people. You see, so in this passage, we have both a, a mandate to be a king and a priest because you have to be as bold as a king in order to possess the promise that God has for you. You have to be as bold as a king. You have to be willing to step out and to conquer. You have to be willing to expand your borders, to enter into new lands, new territories, to face new enemies. You have to be willing to be as bold as a king in order to obtain the promise that God has for your life. In order to possess the land, You've got to step out. 
You see, some of you, God wants to use you as a king. He wants to expand your borders. He wants you to open up a business. He wants you to grow your career. He wants you to get married, to have children, to build a family. He wants you to purchase property. He wants you to obtain contracts. He wants you to step out and be a king. But if you don't also sanctify yourself as a priest, if you don't also set yourself apart, if you don't obey God's word and keep his commandments, even though you obtain all these things, the land will vomit you out. So he says, I'm, I have a promise for you. And you have to be willing to step out and possess the promise. But when you step out and possess the promise, if you start living the same way they did, if your lifestyle doesn't look any different than what the world's lifestyle looks like, then it'll vomit you out. And what could have been a promise is now going to reject you. Write this down. If you're not an obedient king, the promise will reject you. If you're not an obedient king, the promise will reject you. Let me give you an example. 1 Samuel 15, 7 through 11 says, Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agog, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agog's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this, that he cried out to the Lord all night. What happened? God had given Saul a commandment. God was gonna be with Saul. God was gonna give Saul the victory. God was gonna give Saul the throne, all these different things. God had all these promises for Saul's life, but God told Saul, when you defeat them, I want you to kill everything. But Saul didn't obey the word of the Lord. Saul allowed his own fleshly pride to get the best of him. He decided to keep the king as a trophy. He decided to keep whatever appealed to them, whatever looked nice, the best of the best. They kept those things when God had told them to destroy them. And that's why the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul a king because he refused to obey the commands because he wasn't loyal. You see, you're one action of disobedience away from missing out on the promises that God has for your life. When I was a teenager, I used to, I used to treat God so casually, like I could go out on Friday night and Saturday and I could drink and I could party and I could cuss and I could act up and do whatever I want and, and, and thinking that, oh, on Sunday morning, I could just make things right with God. On Sunday morning, if I just ask God to forgive me, I'll be forgiven. Then I went back to that same cycle, not knowing that my disobedience can cost me the promises of God. So what happens to Saul in 1 Samuel 16, 14? It says this, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. 
And the Lord had sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. You see, what was Saul's problem? He was a king, but he was not a priest. He was a king, but he was not a priest. And think about this. What good is a kingdom without God? What good, what good is it to have, to have a, a giant kingdom and an army and wealth and all these different things if God's presence isn't even there? Can you imagine? I heard somebody preaching about eternity one time and they were talking about what they um, interpreted hell to be. And their interpretation of hell was, was eternal darkness without God's presence. Think about it. You know, we watch movies and we, you know, we, people get deceived thinking, you know, that the devil's going to have a whip and he's going to beat you for all of eternity and he's ruling over this little place. There's minions running around. <laughs> but to me, eternity without God's presence is worse than a fire. Eternity without God's presence is worse than the devil. It's worse than any demon in hell. Eternity without God's presence. So you have a king, but because he wasn't a priestly king who obeyed God's commands, because he, he didn't make sure that everything was right in the eyes of the Lord, because he didn't operate in the way that he should have, he has a kingdom but he does not have God. And in 1 Samuel 16, 23, it says, whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled him, David would play the harp and Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. He was living off of David to get by. And here's the thing, you can't live in disobedience and then expect somebody else's relationship with God to sustain you. You can't walk in disobedience and then expect the pastor's relationship with God on Sunday to sustain you throughout the week because you have to be king and you have to be priest. You could focus on being a king and you could have a nice house. You could work a lot of hours. You could get a lot of money. You could provide. You could give your kids everything they want. But if you are not also the priest of your home, what good is that house if your parents don't, if your children don't have a relationship with God? What good is a lot of money in your bank account if you can't feel God's presence in your life? You have to be the priest of your kingdom. Here's what I know. I know that every blessing comes with a battle. There is no territory where there isn't warfare in that region. Anywhere you go in this life, anywhere God leads you in this world, there is warfare attached to every region. Think about this. Just because God had driven the people out of that land, when Joshua entered into the promised land 
And just because God had given Joshua favor and an army and they were scared just because Joshua was winning victories and driving the people out just because the people left the land doesn't mean that Joshua wouldn't have to deal with the demons that they used to worship there. It doesn't mean that he wouldn't have to deal with the idolatry that used to reside there because the land that Joshua was entering, even though it was promised to him, there was an echo of sin that was in the land. And when you obtain something in this life or when, when, when you enter in to a new place that God is leading you to, there's always going to be a level of warfare attached to it. And that's why you have to be both king and priest. You can't just conquer, but you have to be able to atone. Just because you got a new job doesn't mean that there won't be spiritual wickedness in your workplace. It doesn't mean that you don't have to work around evil spirits and principalities that have set themselves up in that place of employment. Just because you get married and start your own family doesn't mean that there aren't generational curses that will try to surface. Just because you move into a new community doesn't mean that you won't have to confront demonic influences that would try to, try to, uh, try to twist what your children think and what are, they are taught in their schools. You see, that's why we have to be both king and priest because if we're not a king, then we'll let our kids learn whatever the world decides to teach them in their schools. We have dominion, we have authority, we have power through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.12 says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. You see, God is wanting to bless you. God is wanting to lead you into new promises, into new areas. He's wanting to expand you, to enlarge you. But even though God is wanting to bless you, there's going to be a battle that comes with the blessing. And every evil spirit and demonic influence in this world will try to limit what God is doing in your life. Every devil in hell wants to rob you of your blessing. That's why you have to be willing to fight for it. You see, the devil thinks that he owns everything. The devil thinks that he has dominion over the earth, that everything belongs to him. That's why when Jesus had started his ministry and he got baptized, he then went into the wilderness, where in the wilderness he was tempted by the devil. That's why the devil said this in Luke chapter 4. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. I will give you every kingdom. I will give you all authority. I will give you all the glory if you worship me. You see, the devil thinks he owns everything when he has no right to claim authority over our domain. When he has no power over us except the power that we give him. He can make you every promise in the world, 
But the devil is powerless unless you worship him. He wants you to believe that he is in control. But that's why us as Christian believers, we have to stand up and say, wait a minute. I am a king. Wait a minute. I am a priest. I am God's chosen generation. I'm a part of this holy nation. I am his royal priesthood. So if anybody has dominion and authority on this earth, it's God's people. You see, you were created to take territory. What does that mean? Well, as a king, you might take territory in several different ways. If you get married, you're taking territory. You're expanding. If you have children, you're growing your kingdom. If you start a business, you're taking territory. If you buy land, if you obtain contracts, all these things, you are taking territory. You are exercising dominion. You have a place that is your domain where you're able to govern and operate. But that's why it's important that even though you might take territory, you have to operate as a priest. Too many times we've seen it where families have been so focused on the territory, on being a king, that they've neglected being a priest and because of it, their children have been lost. Their marriages have fallen apart. Their relationships with God are shallow at best. You see, our job isn't to just take territory as a king, but it's also to cleanse the land as a priest. Let me give you an example. In Joshua chapter 7, verses 4 through 13, it says this. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay and threw dust on their heads and bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. It says, then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you were going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that, the is that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe your name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? It says, but then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. 
It's a lot of verses, but if you read that passage, there's something key that you have to realize that Joshua, he was leading like a king. He was possessing the promised land that God had talked about. They had crossed the Jordan River. They had defeated Jericho. But because there was sin that had gotten into Joshua's camp, they were now a defeated people. You see, Joshua was doing great as, as a type of king. He was leading the people. They were winning battles. But here's the thing. They were taking territories. They defeated Jericho. They had an army. They, they, they were finally possessing the promise. But in that moment, being a king wasn't enough. In that moment, Joshua had to step up and he had to become a priest. Joshua had to reconcile and had to atone for the sin that had worked its way into their camp. You see, you can try to do all of these things and obtain all these things and you can look at your resume and you can think that you've really done something big, but if you've allowed sin to work its way into your camp, then it's going to lead you to defeat. God had told them, if you don't obey my commands, even though I've made you a promise, if you don't keep your word, then the land that I am leading you to will vomit you out. And the Lord told them, I won't be with you any longer until you make things right. That's why you can't just, you can't just focus on your career. That's why it's more important that you have a good relationship with God. That's why your, your child's education isn't the most important thing because if they get the degree but they don't know God, then what was the point if it only leads to defeat? So Joshua, as a priest, he had to do these three things. The first thing he did is he had to seek the Lord because he knew something was off because God had said there is sin in the camp. There is something that is not right within your ranks. And you as kings and priests of your home, you know when something is off in your home. You know when something is off at your job. You know when sin has worked its way into the camp and that's when you as a priest have to stop and seek the Lord. And it says that Joshua, he fell down on his face before the Lord and he began to cry out. You see, it might be something that's off with you it might be something that's off with your family or the people around you, but you have to be the one as the priest who's willing to seek the Lord for wisdom to reveal the hidden thing to you. God will reveal it to you. You may not know what it is, but you might just know that something is wrong. There is something that has gotten a hold of my family. I don't know what's happening in my child. I don't know why they're acting like this. I don't know why there's so much chaos and turmoil, but I know that something has worked its way into my camp. It's worked its way into my kingdom, into my domain. And if something has come into my domain, then as a king and a priest, it's my job to use my authority to govern and to atone and to make things right. Why, why do we expect the pastor 
to keep everything right in our kingdom, in our domain. You've been given power. You've been given authority. You've been given your family, your job, your domain for a reason. And if you're not going to take care of it, who is? If you're not going to be a priest to your family, who is? If you're not going to lead them as a king in nobility and show them the right way to conduct themselves, then who is? So Joshua sought the Lord. The second thing he did is he offered atonement. You see, Joshua wasn't the one who sinned. Joshua wasn't the one who had stolen. But Joshua was the one who had to make things right. Joshua was the king and the priest. Joshua was the leader. Joshua was the person who was in authority. And since it was in his domain, it was his responsibility to reconcile and to make things right. So Joshua had to find out where the sin was at. And he had to destroy all of it. Because he knew if I don't deal with this now, then it's only going to get worse. We may have lost 36 men today. But if I don't deal with this sin that has worked its way into our camp, then what's going to happen the next time we go out and try to fight? And you might be thinking that maybe it's just a little thing that your children are doing or just a little thing that has worked its way into your home. And it may have caused a little problem today, but what's gonna happen tomorrow if you don't address it? What's gonna happen five years from now if you let this sin fester and remain in your domain? Because if it's in your domain, it'll affect your promises as well. It's not just let my children do what they want. They're in your domain. They're in your house. They're in your kingdom. You are the king. You are the priest. You are governing. You are leading. You have the authority. It's your job to make sure that things stay in order. So the next thing Joshua did, he sought the Lord. He offered atonement. He made things right. And the next thing he did is he kept moving. Joshua didn't stay where he was because there was a little setback. He didn't get discouraged because they lost one battle. Joshua made things right with the Lord. And then he went out and he continued to fight. He continued to push back the enemy. He continued to take new territory. He continued to seek the promise that God had for them. And here's the reason why some of us are struggling today. It's because the hidden things that are fighting against us. It's because there are hidden things that are fighting against us. I just don't know why my kids fight all the time. I don't know why all this stuff is happening in our home. I don't know why there's not any peace. Do you even know what your kids are watching on TV? Do you even know what they're looking at on their cell phones? Do you even know who they're talking to, what they're saying? Do you even know what's in your camp? You know something's off, and it'll remain off until you find out what the hidden thing is. It may be something in your marriage. It may be something in you. It may be something in your children. And maybe you got to seek the Lord until you find out that three generations before you, it was a generational curse that tried to take out your grandfather and then try to take out your father. Maybe there's something in your family line, but you're never going to find out what it is 
until you become a priest and realize there's something off and it's my responsibility to figure out what it is and make things right. Providing for your family financially is not enough. You could buy your children all the nice clothes, all the nice things. You could buy your spouse a new car. You could live in a big house. But if God is not in it, then it's all for nothing. As the worship team comes, any area the demons refuse to leave from, we come as a priest with atonement. I want to tell you a story about a pastor in California. He had, he still pastors. He has a large church in the San Diego area. And he had two staff members at his church who bought a duplex. So one staff member, they lived in one side of the duplex. The other staff member, they lived in the other side. Both staff members were married. And um, so they, they buy this duplex and they move in there. And something, they, they quickly realize something is off. Because in the one duplex, that, that couple, they got pregnant. And they were expecting a baby. And about three months into the pregnancy, they had a miscarriage. And the baby was gone. Then a few months later, they find out that their neighbors in the duplex next to them that, that they worked with at the church, that they had gotten pregnant. And then a few months later, they had a miscarriage and their baby was gone. And then a few months, uh, about a year went by and then the, the, the first couple, they had gotten pregnant again. And a few months later, a miscarriage and the baby was gone. The couple next to them, a few months after that, they had gotten pregnant again. And a few months later, they had a miscarriage and the baby was gone. So the pastor of the church finally, he, he realized something is seriously off with where they are at because this should not be happening. This should not be happening to them. So the pastor, he begins to research. He looks up their address and he begins to research this house. And he looks up the deed to the house and he finds out who owned the property before they bought it. And he looks up the name of this person. And as he begins to research the name of this person, he finds out that it used to be owned by this lady who was, who was in all kinds of witchcraft, reading fortunes, doing all these things. People would come and they would pay her to do all these different things. There were all these demonic activities surrounding this lady's life and she used to own the property. Practices used to take place within those walls. You see, as a king, buying a property is expanding your territory. But in that situation, buying the property wasn't enough. What it needed was a priest. So the pastor of the church, he went to his staff member's house and he took a bottle of oil and he began to go through each of the duplexes and he began to anoint the door of the home and he began to walk through the house and anoint all of the walls. And then he anointed the couple and he started to plead the blood of Jesus and say, it doesn't matter what kind of demonic force 
used to reside here, you are no longer welcome in this home. This house does not belong to you. These couples do not belong to you. You have no authority. You have no dominion. And in the name of Jesus, I command you to loose your hold over this region, over this territory. And he began to take authority over the evil spirits that had set themselves up in that place. And do you know that a few months later, this couple gets pregnant, they have a baby girl. Then this couple, they get pregnant, they have a little baby boy. A year later, this couple, they get pregnant again, they have a baby boy. A few months later, this couple, they're pregnant again, then they have a little baby boy. You see, it, all it took was a priest to realize something is off, something is here that shouldn't be here, and to take authority over whatever had set itself up in that region. In Matthew 10, verse 1, it says this, And when he called his 12 disciples to them, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all kinds of sickness and disease. God has given us all the authority that we need. The kind of authority that as a priest of our home, we operate in. If your children are sick, take authority over the sickness. If there's something that tries to attach itself to your kids, Take authority over every unclean spirit and tell it that it doesn't have authority or dominion over your life. Cast them out because you've been given the authority. As I close, one of the saddest passages that we read about in the Bible is Matthew chapter 17, 14 through 16. It says, at the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. He says, Jesus, my son, has been suffering, there's something that has gotten a hold of him, it's destroying his life, it's wrecking our family. I heard that you had given your disciples authority, I heard that you had given them power, so I took him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. Seven verses earlier, Jesus told his disciples, I'm giving you the authority to cast out unclean spirits. I'm giving you the power to heal sickness and disease. I'm giving it to you and yet seven verses later, seven chapters later, they couldn't do anything. How quickly, how quickly religion had gotten a hold of the disciples where they had become more focused on where are we gonna sit what are our titles gonna be? Then God, how can you use us? Yes. 
to help the people who are lost and hurting and sick and demon-possessed and who are in need of a touch from God. That is our mandate as the church of Jesus Christ to walk in authority and with power because we live in a world that is consumed by darkness and in your own home, there are people who are sick. In your own household, there are things that are hidden that shouldn't be there. In your community, darkness and demonic influences are trying to work their way in to pressure you, to pressure your children, to pressure governments. And if we refuse to be a king and a priest, then who will? Who will fight for our children, for our families, for our communities, if we're not willing to step up? As you stand to your feet this morning, in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, it says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. You see, every single one of you in here today, you've been called to be a king and a priest. You've been called to be a chosen generation, to be a royal priesthood, to be a holy nation, to be God's own special people. God has called you to be those things, but you have to make a decision to walk worthy of your calling. Can you walk worthy as a king? Can you walk worthy as a priest? Can you exercise dominion as a king and govern with nobility while also offering atonement and interceding as the priest of your home? Can you walk worthy of your calling? While heads are bowed and eyes are closed for just a moment, maybe you're here today and you've been battling some things in your life and you've been struggling and you don't even know why. You don't understand why life has been so hard. You don't understand why it's been such a struggle for you. You don't understand why you've had to face the things that you've had to face. And I'm telling you, it's because every blessing is gonna come with a battle. And until you address the hidden things, you'll never be able to walk in victory. Until you address the hidden things, you won't be able to go any further. You see, God wants to bless you, but before he blesses you with the kingdom, he wants to break off every generational curse. He wants to break off every demonic influence. He wants to break off every uh, hold that the enemy has over your mind and over your life. God wants to set you free so that when you walk into the promised land, you could, ex you could enjoy it. You see, God wants you to enjoy life. So I wanna invite the prayer team to come. And this morning, I wanna do something a little bit different. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe in this moment, you wanna, you wanna recommit your life to Him. You wanna make things right. You wanna reconcile yourself to God and make sure that everything is in line. Then I want, you, I want to invite you to come and to make things right with the Lord. Or maybe you're a mom and a dad 
and you are the king and the priest of your home. And maybe this morning you wanna take a moment and you want to step up as a priest. You've been a great king. You've provided. You have a house over your children's head. You got clothes on their back, food in their belly. You've been a great king, but maybe you wanna take a moment and be a priest. Maybe you wanna take a moment and you wanna bring your children with you and anoint them with oil and begin to pray over them. Maybe you wanna anoint your spouse with oil and pray over them. You see, when Saul, when the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, Saul was just trying to get by off, off the presence of God on David's life. And I'm telling you, you can't live off of your pastor. You can't live off of your, your leader's relationship with God, your parents' relationship with God. You've got to have your own relationship with God and lead your families and lead your community and be a king and be a, and be a priest. So would you come this morning? Would you come and pray? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 